We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in just a moment. Father, thank you for the privilege of coming to you in prayer. Thank you for salvation that we have in you and, Lord, the rest that we can have in you and in our eternal destiny with you because of what you did on the cross for us. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit of God that you placed inside of us and the guide and the comfort that he is to our life. We thank you for the word of God. So many spiritual blessings. Thank you for the family of God and for the opportunity for us to pray with one another and worship you together and study your word together. And Lord, we pray that you will meet with every group that is on campus tonight. We pray for our children, pray for Kim as she is teaching and Lord leading our children tonight and really a crucial series about salvation leading up until Easter. And Lord, we pray as you already have that you'll continue to work in the hearts of our children. And Lord, for those that you are drawing to yourself and Lord, that they will understand salvation and come to faith in you. We pray for uh, Brother Austin and Miss Holly as they minister to our young people as well as their, the adult workers that are in there helping them. We pray, God, that you would speak through them tonight. Use our young people, Lord, to be just a testimony and encouragement to one another. Uh, for Wes and Amanda, who are leading the young adult class tonight, we pray that you would be with them as well and speak through them. Thank you, Lord, for their love for you and their faithfulness to you and Lord we also pray for Matt and Jenny that you will help them and use them as they minister this week to many teenagers we pray God that you would just fill Matt as he speaks and Lord that you will uh, use them to make an impact in their lives speak to us this evening through your word through this time of study in your word we're thankful that as we come to it we know that this is the revelation of God it is inspired it is inerrant it is infallible, and we can put our complete, full confidence in what we read tonight as it, be, as it being your word to us. So we submit ourselves underneath its authority, and Lord, we pray that it would challenge us and encourage us and strengthen things in our life that we need to be strengthened in. And we pray all this in Christ's precious name, and the church said, Amen. Last time that we were together, which was two weeks ago because of OCC, Brother Chris began our study of chapter 12, which gives us one of the lists of the spiritual gifts. There are several lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Um, and, and as he, he mentioned, these are the supernatural powers of God that are given to us, that are beyond our human ability, that are given to us at salvation. And of course, as a church grows, what happens? More people come into the body of Christ, a local assembly. And what that means is that there are people with different gifts. And so there's more and more diversity of gifts. And of course, with that uh, comes the uh, the potential problem, I will say, because of our human nature to compare. For me to compare my spiritual gift with your spiritual gift. For you to compare your spiritual gift with someone else's spiritual gift. And that is really what the problem was at the church of Corinth that Paul is addressing in our section tonight, beginning in chapter 12 and verse 12. And just so that you kind of get a, a grip on the whole text and the concept, I do want to read the, the text before we jump into it tonight and make some introductory 
statements before we start going through the text. Look in verse number 12. For the body is one. Now, remember here, Jesus is, the Holy Spirit is, through Paul, comparing the church to a human body. All right, He's paralleling a church and a human body. So he says, For as the body is one and hath many members... And all the members of that, that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, and it hath pleased him. You want to mark that verse. It is God who has set the members, every one of them, into the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble, they are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular, and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after the miracles and gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongue, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, before we jump into the text and start going through the the text tonight, I want to just say a word about spiritual gifts. And as you know, this is and can be a very divisive subject in in Christians and churches. And I will say this, I have dear brothers and sisters in Christ who would take a different position on me on this particular subject, but I do think that it is important for you to understand the position that I and this church take on spiritual gifts. And although we're not going to go into great detail about all of the spiritual gifts tonight, I would be glad to answer any specific questions that you have about that or to to give you uh, some great resources that would help you understand that, that have helped me understand that. Obviously, we have scriptural reasons why we believe what we believe about it, but let me just kind of give you some statements about what we believe, what I believe, what our church believes about this. And the first thing that I would have to say is that we believe that there is one baptism of the Holy Spirit, that when you are saved, you are baptized 
in that moment by the Holy Spirit of God and placed into the family of God, uh, into the body of Christ. In other words, we believe at the moment of salvation, you get all of the Holy Spirit, that he comes to live inside of you, and you don't have to have more of him. Now, of course, and we won't go into all of this, but we still have our flesh that we deal with, and we don't always allow the Holy Spirit to have the control in our life that he should have. And, and so because of that, sometimes we act fleshly. But we believe that there's one baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that happens at the moment of salvation. Secondly, we also distinguish between what we would call sign gifts, and there are four of them in this chapter, and serving gifts. And we would understand that the sign gifts to, to have been manifestations of the Holy Spirit to authenticate the messenger and the gospel marriage uh, message during the foundational years of the early church. Let me explain it like this. Before the canon of scriptures was complete, before we had a final revelation that during the, the life of Jesus, by the way, he lived 33 years. You know how many of those years he did miracles and, and healings? Three. Three out of the 33. And so these things were used during that time. And, and even after Jesus was gone back to heaven through the apostles during the early church age to authenticate their message of what they were proclaiming about Jesus Christ and the gospel. And then as you began to read through the book of Acts, you began to see those things being mentioned less and less and less as the church is established. And then by the time you get to the epistles that Paul is writing, they are not mentioned hardly at all in the epistles. And so we believe that those things were, were there to authenticate the message, the revelation of Jesus Christ. But listen, we believe wholeheartedly that this is the final revelation of God. That God is not continuing to reveal, reveal new truth to specific people. How, how chaotic would that be if we had to just depend? Oh, I wonder if he's really getting that revelation from God or if he's just trying to draw attention to himself. So God is not the author of confusion. And God has given us an inspired, infallible, perfect book. This is our authority. This is our final revelation. We say this, that when Jesus was here, he was the living word. And when he left, he gave us the written word. And this is his word to us. All right? So this is the final revelation. And so we, we would say that those would be sign gifts. We do believe that the service gifts, such as serving and teaching and exhortation and giving and leadership and administration and mercy, there's, there's all kinds of lists that list these different things in the New Testament, that they are normative for the church and they're given to the church to be used without competition nor do we think that we should be seeking, and this is such an important part, listen, that we should be seeking out particular gifts which God has not given us. And I think that we'll see that tonight in the text. We believe that tongues, as one of the sign gifts, would be, which by the word, the word tongues is, is the word language. And we believe that it was a gift that was given where people could literally speak in another language. We see this in Acts chapter 2, don't we? When the gospel began to spread, that he supernaturally empowered people to speak in a language that they did not normally know, but someone else had, so that they could share the gospel with them and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and we see that gifts is used 
for evangelism. And, and you say, could God still do that today? Absolutely. And, and I have, I've known of that happening where someone has been able supernaturally to speak in another language in order to share the gospel with people. You don't hear about it much, but you do hear about it. As Adrian Rogers said, I resigned a long time ago trying to be God. God can do what God wants to do, but he will never, mark this down, he will never contradict his word. So if someone says they have a word from God, but it doesn't line up with this word, it is not a word from God. This is our final revelation. And we're not going to spend a lot of time going into that. And again, like I said, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who I know are Christians. They would take a different view on that, and that is fine. But I think it's at least important for you who come to this church to know where we stand on spiritual gifts. As I was, I was reading and meditating on the text, I don't think that that's what the focus is. Uh, I think that the focus is, as we're going to see tonight, the competition the diversity of the gifts and the unity that needs to be uh, in which we need to use our gifts. But as I was reading and meditating on this text, it reminded me that in many instances, the church has become something that God never intended the church to be. The church has become a place where people come to watch, where people come to spectate. And just like we do in society, we go and we watch people put on a play. We watch a movie. We watch people play sports. We listen to people do music or, or go to a concert. And unfortunately, that same mindset has made its way into the church where now we come to watch a, a people worship. We come to watch people serve. We come to simply listen to a lecture or to a sermon. But that is not what God intended the church to be. It is not to be a place where we are just spectators. What Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to say here is that the church is an organism. The church is not an organization. It is something that is living. You know, a corpse can be organized, right? All the limbs in place, all the organs still in place, but it is not living. You can be organized and not be living. God has not just called the church to be organized. And by the, by the way, let me say, there are a lot of well-oiled, organized, quote-unquote, churches who are not living. And so he says the church is a living organism. God has created the church to be moving and active and living and every individual in the church is alive and pulsing through all of us is the same spirit of God who lives inside of us. Just as every cell and every member in your body is alive and working together, everybody in the church is alive. And of course, the church at Corinth was not functioning at all, like God had created the church to function. They were not representing well what Christ had, had made the church to represent. Instead, they were carnal, they were immoral, they were selfish, they were proud, they were divisive. They were gluttonous and drunkens. They sued each other. They committed sexual sin under the umbrella of religion. 
They were enamored with the human philosophies of their day and they wanted to bring that type of philosophy into the church and they identified in little cliques. Brother Chris is my favorite and Brother Josh is my favorite and Brother Matt is my favorite and I really like Brian. He's hip and cool and so I'm going to identify with him and they had identified themselves in these little cliques. They were not what God intended them to be. And now... They're jealous over other people's gifts in the church, and they're stirring up more strife and division. And and the point here is that in a body, it isn't for the hand to say, if I can't be the eye, I'm leaving. If I can't be the eye, then I've been cheated. The point of the text is that we should be content and actually excited with the design of God and allow him to put the body of Christ together as he sees fit. How many of you believe God knows better than we do? He tempers the body. He puts it together. And when the church doesn't cooperate with God's plan, then there's chaos in the church. And that's what was happening at the church at Corinth. Let me just mention a few things as we go through this. First of all, I want you to see the unity of the body. And we're going to try to get through this in one setting. So stay with me. I'm going to probably stay close to my notes so I can get through all this. But I want you to see Paul's first point is that the, the, the body ought to be unified. And these verses relate again to the human body Uh, relate the human body to the church. The church is like a body. It is one, yet it has many different members who function in different roles. Look again at verse number 13. It makes this clear. We are born in one spirit. We are placed into one body. We are indwelt by one spirit. We have the common life in our souls because we all have the same spirit of God living in us. And what he says here in the text is that he has taken Jew and Gentiles and made them into one body. Let's look at some New Testament scriptures that talk about this. Ephesians 2, 15 and 16, Paul writes, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both, both of those, the Jews and the Gentiles, unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Uh, Ephesians 4.4, 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. The emphasis is that we are one. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Romans 10, verses 12 and 13, for there is no difference between the Jews and the Greeks, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen to these terms that Paul uses through his writings. Fellow citizens, fellow partakers, fellow members, fellow or joint heirs. He's saying we are one, we are one body. And of course, Jesus' own prayer as an example to the Father in John 17. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me 
through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be what? One, even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in what? One. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So in the body of Christ, in the church, there are to be no no loners, no, no one out there on an island by themselves, no spectators. There's no degrees of importance. Every part is vitally important if the body is going to be healthy and act as it should act. And we are an organism, not an organization. And so we depend on every single part of that body for total life. We are a community of people who live and we breathe the same air. We are citizens of the same country. We are members of the same family. We are a bride for the same groom. We are the sheep of the same flock. We are branches of the same vine. And as Paul says here, we are all members of the same body. We are, we are one. Don't listen. Listen, don't listen to the lie of the enemy and your flesh that you and your gifts and your contributions and what you have to bring don't really matter to the church. I can promise you that is a lie from the enemy. That is a lie from your flesh. According to this text, the body of Christ, the church, is crippled whenever there is one member of the body not doing what it should be doing, what God put it in the body to do. So we see the unity of the body. Secondly, notice the diversity of the body. And we see this in verse number 14. Stay with me. Notice what he says. For the body is not one member, but what? Many. You're not with me. Either you're looking down at your Bible or uh, you're out in la-la land. Say this with me. For, for the body is not one member, but what? Many. Many. Good. It's diverse. And let me say this, unity demands diversity. Unity demands diversity. Let me ask you what would happen if everybody on the Ford assembly line decided, hey, we're really going to be a unified group, and so here's what we're going to do. We're all going to put headlights on the frame when it comes. I mean, we're all going to be unified in what we do. What came out of that assembly line would be a mess, wouldn't it? You'd have a headlight, one big headlight. It wouldn't be what God wanted it to be. It wouldn't be unity. And the same is true in the body of Christ. There must be diversity and distinction to have unity. There has to be different functions. We could say it like this. Every Christian is a spiritual snowflake. There are no two that are alike. God has gifted us differently. God has given us different realms of influence. If if we were going to take a football team and we were to say, we're going to recruit 44 quarterbacks, that would be an awful team. It would be a terrible team. In fact, the quarterback cannot do what the quarterback is supposed to do without linemen who keep the defense from getting to him, right? Every part is important. 
And listen, there are too many spiritual bodies and there are too many spiritual movements that are chasing the same gifts. We have to attain this one gift. This is the highest gift. This is a sought-after gift. This is what we need to be going after. And that was a problem in Corinth. Everybody was going after the showy gifts. Look at verse 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? And by the way, this is a rhetorical question. The answer is no, they're not. And we see this in so many churches and so many movements still today. Paul's point is clear. For the body of Christ to properly picture Jesus Christ, it must have diverse members unified around one purpose. We are all striving together for the faith of the gospel. Using the gifts that God has given us. So in the church, when the quote-unquote hand is not doing what the hand is gifted to do and the pinky toe is not doing what it's supposed to be doing and the liver in the church is not doing what it is supposed to be doing, then the church is not functioning as God has called it to function. Diversity isn't accidental. God did this on purpose. It's a sign of health And a lack of diversity is a sign of sickness. So what's the point here? Know what your gift is. And we've been talking about this. We gave out the spiritual gifts test. Know what God has gifted you for. And find a place within the body of Christ to use that gift. If God's given you the gift of teaching and there aren't any any openings in any of the departments, then go out into the community and find people to teach. Bring them into your home. Teach them the word of God. But this is something that, that, in fact, what you hear in here, in here on Sunday and Wednesday through the public teaching times of our gatherings, it's simply to fuel us to go out into the world and to use our gifts out into the world and in the church. So we see the, the unity of the body. We see the diversity of the body. If you are a believer, you're not to be just a spectator you're to be a minister you ought to be ministering thirdly we see the head of the body the unity of the body the diversity of the body the head of the body and the focus here is on the sovereignty of God to place each member into the body as he sees fit and in verse number 18 we're reminded of this Paul turns to the one that created the body and he has made us uniquely gifted to carry out his commission. Notice this phrase, God has set. Mark that. God has set, or God set the members. That's an act of divine appointment. Just as God created our human body with all of its diverse members, and by the way, isn't the body one of the most amazing things that prove that there is a God? Study the body and how it functions, and it will blow your mind. And so then he chooses to use the church as, uh, or the body as an example of what the church should be, with all these different moving parts to show this miracle of what God can do through diverse people. Your gifts, here's Paul's point, your gifts are from God. Don't despise them. You don't have to tarry or wait or try for a different one. You just use the one that God gave you for him. 
And by the way, it's all about him anyway. It's not about you. It's not about me. Look at Romans chapter 9 and verse 20. It says this, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Notice what he says. Shall the things... Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? God, I think I know better than you do about what would be the best gift for me to have. And really for us to feel inferior for the gift that God has chosen for us or despise the gift is for us to show our displeasure with the will of God. There's no place for discontentment with our gifts. The gifts are always according to the will of God. Look at verse number 11. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he, what? Wills. As he wills. Look at verse 24. It is God that has tempered the body together. And the word tempered means mixed together, which is another beautiful word. Because it means this. God is not only... God not only chooses the gifts, but he mixes us with the people in order to use the gifts together to portray a beautiful picture of the gospel. He he mixes, mixes us with the right people so that the right combination will work in the right location. If God has brought you to Faith Baptist Tabernacle or as Brother Noel affectionately calls it, the tabernacle. If God has brought you here, then he has brought you here to mix you with the other people that he has here to paint a beautiful picture of what Christ, of the unity of Christ, the unity of Jesus and God the Father and God the Spirit, uh, God the Son to this community. It's his design. It's his plan. He has put it together. He has perfectly designed the mix of the gift of mercy and and the giving and the teaching and the hospitality and the administration and evangelism. He mixes us into one body by his sovereign plan. And when the picture is finished, with all the, the mixes, with all the mixed colors, it should be a picture of Christ. If the paint decides it's gonna dim, it doesn't wanna be that bright, or it's going to brighten itself, it needs to be brighter, or I really need to be somewhere else in this picture, then what it does is it it messes up the whole picture. It distorts the whole picture. It's sad and it's selfish when we rebel against God's plan for our life and the portrait of Christ is lost. We see that little phrase again in, in verse number 28, God hath set. God hath set. And in this section, he talks about the leadership. He's talking about the leadership gifts. It's God who has set the leadership with their gifts. And we see that throughout the entire book of Acts. We saw it with the original 12 disciples, right? And we saw it with Matthias. And we saw it with Paul. And then when God wanted to send missionaries to the Gentile world, what did he do? Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas. So in God's sovereignty, he chooses those to lead the church underneath his leadership. Whatever our gifts may be, they are important because they're set in order by God himself. You were planned before the foundations of the world to be you. And you don't have to chase something else for significance. You don't have to pray 
through to get some special gift. God has given you the gifts for you to use. And it's a part of God's canvas design. The last thing is the harmony of the body. And we'll look at verses 15 through 24. It's a little bit repetitive, but it's different from the unity. This fourth element comes as a result of the first three. You see, the Corinthian church did not have unity. All through this letter, Paul has reprimanded them because of their lack of unity. They did not have diversity. They were all chasing the showy gifts, and they didn't acknowledge the head of the body as the giver of gifts. They didn't acknowledge God as the giver of gifts. They wanted their own gift. They had a better way. Well, beginning in verse number 15, Paul dives into the concept of harmony, and it does so from two angles. The first one are the people who thought they were nothing and envied those who had the more showy gifts. The second angle was for those who had the more outward gifts, who thought they were something and that the other people were secondary. In verses 15 through 17, he deals with those that, first of all, they feel insignificant. The foot, especially in that day, you didn't have socks, you didn't have shoes, you walked all over the place. The foot was not a glamorous part of the body. Pedicures were not, you know, they didn't have the little nail places everywhere you go. They weren't as available. No one wanted to be the foot. The hand was cleaner. The hand was more glamorous than the foot. And the point is this, just because you don't think that you're important does not negate your responsibility to function the way God called you. Did you notice what he said? If, that, if, if the eye says he wants to be something else, is he not a part of the body just because he wants to be something else? No, he's still a part of the body. He's just hurting the body. He's just a disobedient part of the body. He's just a part of the body that's not doing its function. He's not removed from the body. We can't remove ourselves from God-given responsibility just because we're not happy with what we are. Look here. Whatever your gift is, if you don't know it, one day you will stand before God and give an account with what we did with our spiritual gifts if we used it or if we wasted it. If we decided that we were just going to be a spectator who came and watched and left. There are many people who are not seen and yet they contribute so much to what goes on here each and every week. To not use your gift because you think it is insignificant does not mean that you're not a part of the body, just that you are a disobedient part. If God made you a foot or Even worse, just the big toe on the foot. If that is what God made you, it is because it's vital and it's needed for the the body to carry out the Great Commission. And by the way, God has a different view than we have. You know what he says about the foot that helps carry the gospel? They're what? They're beautiful. Beautiful are the feet of those that carry the good news. And by the way, have you ever tried to function without the use of your foot or your toe? Or have you ever had a sharp, how many of you have ever had gout before? All right, two of us. Let me tell you, you don't want it. 
It comes up in your foot and the pain is so agonizing, you can't think about anything else. You're not productive. The foot is an important part of the body. And there are so many movements that make you feel like you, if you're not doing certain gifts, if you don't have certain gifts, you aren't important. And this is so wrong according to this text. This is exactly what Paul is reprimanding them about. The foot is jealous of the ear. The ear is jealous of the eye. And this is human nature, isn't it? If we have straight hair, what do we want? Curly hair. Or if we have no hair, we want hair. If we're five, point, if we're five foot seven, we want to be what? Six foot two. If we're six six, it's inconvenient, right? We'd rather be a little bit shorter. We're naturally... Not happy with what God has given us in the way that God has made us. And so look, if you're an eye in the body, not functioning as an eye, it's disobedient because it is God that has set you as the eye. Whatever your gift is, it is, it is essential, it's needed, and God wants you to operate in the role that he's given you. Again, verse 17, look at it. A humorous, humorous verse to me, and now I've made it a humorous verse to others after putting it on social media today. But if the whole body were the eye, it would be a monster, not a body, right? Mike Wazowski. The eye. Now God has not made the whole body an eye. One organ, no matter how prominent it is, it can't survive alone. There should be this tremendous, listen, there should be a tremendous sense of dependence within the body of Christ, within the church. There's so many people who do things, listen, here on, on a given Sunday and all throughout the week, there are so many people who are doing things behind the scenes that no one ever sees that allows me to stand up here and do what I'm doing. There are those who put out the handouts. There are those who do the PowerPoints. There are those who are set up in a corner putting this out on the World Wide Web. There are those who, who during the week, every single night, they come in here and they clean the bathrooms and they clean the nasty toilets that these kids use all throughout the day. There are people who do all these kinds of things, the unseen things, and they're so important. The truth is, is that this simply would not happen. All that happens would not happen without those people. So verses 15 through 20 are all about reminding people not to think of themselves as inferior. Just because their part is not seen. There are people, they're not seen. They give generously. Sacrificially, they serve so that the body of Christ can do what it's called to do. Never wanting to be seen, never wanting to be mentioned. God has not given them a gift where they want to be seen or need to be seen. Every part is important. Now verses 21 through 25 talks to the other side, those who think themselves superior. And he, he reverses the original order. Now he goes from the eye to the ear to the hand to the foot. And he's talking to those with the sought-after gifts, those that were overestimating their importance because they may have had a, a public gift. He says it twice in the text. You can't say to the others, I have no need of you. 
I have no need of you. Then in verse number 22, look, look at it. Much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble and less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness, those hidden ones, the, the lungs, the, the stomach, the internal organs. This is what he had in mind. Those organs, they're not designed to be out front. Listen, a lung can't even live outside the body. It can't live in that atmosphere. That's not what God created it to do. It has a hidden role. It's not to be exposed. The members of the body that you may rarely or never see, they are vital. They are necessary. They are crucial to the health of the body. And the point is that we need to give honor to those who don't normally get the honor. And he's going to continue this thought as we go into the love chapter in, in chapter 13. We're to acknowledge love and appreciation for those that serve in unseen areas. And that's Paul's point in this. The truth is, is that, listen, you might be able to live without a beautiful eye. You might be able to, to live without a, a tongue that can just deliver great speech. But you can't live with an unseen without the unseen liver. You can't live without the unseen heart. You can't live without some of those vital organs that are not seen day in and day out. We can't do outwardly without the organs doing what they're doing inwardly. And listen, if you're sitting on the sideline thinking that your gift is not very important and so you just become a spectator or you're chasing other gifts, stop and use what God has given you. And if you somehow think that your gift or your role is more important because it's a sought-after role or sought-after gift, then, then shame on you. Shame on me. May God remind us every day that we would not be able to do what we do without the other parts. They are all important. In fact, I think that maybe one of the most shocking things if we'll be shocked in heaven, probably won't be shocked. But humanly speaking, one of the most shocking things may be what we experience at the Bema seat when we realize who the rewards are really given to. That lady who quietly taught a class, a Sunday school class, or kept the nursery, or cleaned the bathrooms, or, or prayed even when she couldn't come, she prayed the price for God to be able to do and use those that could do what she couldn't do. You know, Jesus said, the least among you shall be great. And the purpose of this all is given, look at verse number 25, and we'll, we'll wrap up, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Paul's point, don't feel inferior. You're vital to the body of Christ. Don't feel superior. You need the other parts. They're necessary for life. There should be no rivalry, only harmony in the body of Christ. 
Verse 27, remember your unity. Verse 28 and 29, remember your diversity. Verse 29 and 30, remember God's sovereignty in placing the members into their roles. And the result of that is harmony. And just in closing, I want to mention verse number 31 because this is often a verse that is kind of lifted out just on its own and taken out of context. It says, but covet earnestly the best gifts and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now listen, Paul didn't just say all this. Be content with the gift of God. Be content with the gift that God has given you. Don't seek the showy gifts and then tell them in the very last verse to go and seek the showy gifts. He says, you're seeking the best gifts. Notice, I am going to show unto you a what? A more excellent way than pursuing these excellent or best or showy gifts. You see, the way that they were doing it was without unity, it was without diversity, it was without acknowledging that God had dispersed the gifts as he willed, and he is going to, do, he is going to show them a more excellent way, a way of, of using the body of Christ, the church, as a picture of unity and diversity and realizing that God has placed us into the parts that he wants us to, to, to the roles that he wants us to play within the church. And then the next chapter is really the cherry on top. Because he's going to show us that we do all of it through what? Through love, through charity. And he says, this is the more excellent way. It's a better way than trying to make much of yourself and chase after the showy gifts. That there may be no schism, division, uproar in the body. And that is our prayer, isn't it, church? As God continues to add to our church, which he is doing, more and more diverse gifts, more and more temptation for comparison, more and more temptation to covet someone else's gift, more and more temptation not to use the gift that God has given us, more and more opportunity for us to think, wow, I'm a teacher, wow, I'm up here on the stage leading the worship, or, or I have a public role. And forget that we would never be able to do what we do without the people in the background. And that we work together as a body, like a body works together. Not envying someone else's gift. Because it's not about any of us. It is about the glory of God. And as long as that stays the focus for all of us, as long as we show honor and appreciation, which we should, we should show care for each other. And appreciation for each other, no matter the role, then listen, God will be glorified and people will not be, our goal is not that people would be attracted to us. Our goal is not that people would be attracted to the tabernacle. Our goal is that people would be attracted to our Jesus, our Savior, and that they would look into the body of Christ and go, my goodness, look, there's a guy from Colorado, there's a guy from Ohio, where are you from? Everywhere. New Hampshire. There's a guy from Michigan. There's folks from Colorado. Um, there's someone from Connecticut or Massachusetts. Massachusetts. There's people from Crossville who drive all the way to Jamestown. They have all different backgrounds. Some of them saved out of drug and alcohol. Some of them 
saved, grew up in church their whole life. How are these people ever going to function together? But when they look in and see the beauty of the diversity, not uniformity, but diversity unified, then that is a miracle, just like the body is. They look and go, how does this thing work? I mean, how does this all function to to give us life? They look into the church and they say the same thing. It's a miracle for there to be so much diversity and yet so much unity.